Welcome to Whenever Worship with Washington Farm United Methodist Church. Our daily life can make it hard to connect with God at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Whenever Worship helps you connect whenever you can, wherever life takes you with patterns of prayer, reflection, and conversation that will help you lift your heart up in all of the ways that we live out our lives as people of a living faith in a living God. In the last line of Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, it reads that everybody in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. It, it, it feels like a faith-filled moment in that boat. Everyone is amazed and in awe of what they've just witnessed, and they exclaim out of their frenzy the divinity of their friend and teacher. In their awestruck state, faith comes easily to them. But if you've read the Gospel of Matthew closely, you'll recognize that, that when their excitement has faded, they feel more like Peter sinking into the water than they do when Jesus lifts Peter back into the boat. Our everyday experience of faith is often tested, not, not in some crucible moment like walking on water, but in the, the humdrum reality of daily life. We call this the credibility gap, and, and while it probably wasn't coined by the Nazarene theologian Mildred Bangs Winecoop, it was certainly explained by her in great detail. You see, Mildred Bangs Winecoop was writing out of the holiness movement. This was a, a sweeping fervor that moved from Europe across the Atlantic and then across the United States. At its heart, it's a movement founded in Methodism and Wesleyan tradition, but the holiness movement is Wesleyan tradition robed in the frenzied and ecstatic expressions of spirit-filled worship that, that feels awesome and amazing in very particular moments. This movement uses phrases like baptism of the spirit and required that believers have an experiential and embodied encounter with God in order to claim entire sanctification or really sometimes sanctification at all. And as Winecoop was, was thinking and writing in the mid to late 20th century, she articulated a credibility gap that she said put too much of an emphasis on these frenzied expressions to, to solve human problems and an almost complete neglect of an understanding of the relationship of, of real life problems to the experience of grace. And, and I think we can see that here in scripture, but I wonder if we can't see it happening in our own lives too. So let's look to scripture. I want you to put yourselves in this boat, right? Jesus had just fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And, and even while the disciples were cleaning up the extras into 12 baskets, he, he chivvies them onto the boat to, to cross the Sea of Galilee over to Gennesaret, where they'll engage in, in more ministry. 
And instead of joining them in, in the boat, Jesus heads up a mountain to pray. The Sea of Galilee turns rough as it's wont to do, and, and the winds are batting the boat around. And these folks on their boat, they're already feeling uneasy even before night comes on. And then it gets dark. And suddenly they see a figure walking on the water, not a figure in a boat like them, not even a figure water skiing, which let's be honest, was, was not an ancient Jewish pastime. They see this figure walking on the water and it scares the ever loving daylights out of them and terrified, right? They cry out. It's, it's a ghost. Jesus hears their fear and he tells them, don't be afraid. It's, it's me. But they don't believe Jesus. I mean, why? Why would their friend and teacher be walking on water? So Peter asks for a sign to prove that it's actually Jesus. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And because it is Jesus, Peter can walk on the water too, but, but only briefly because his fear clouds his faith and, and he starts to sink. Jesus rescues him and gets him back on the boat. And, and in my imagination, I can hear the disciples whooping and, and hollering and, and declaring their faith in this incredible moment that they experienced together. Peter had what the, the holiness movement would, would call a crisis moment. The disciples had a crisis moment, and, and that moment really helped them understand their faith. But that singular moment, it didn't sustain their faith. This story happens in 12, uh, chapter 14, but in chapter 15, Peter struggles to understand Jesus's teaching, and the disciples are concerned that, that even after seeing Jesus feed five thousand with with plenty of leftovers and and after seeing Jesus walk on water and after declaring that Jesus is the son of God they they still fear that they won't be able to feed 4000 in the desert in, in chapter 16 we can see that that Peter can absolutely articulate his faith when when Jesus asked the disciples who they think he is Peter can easily say the son of God but when Jesus starts to foretell his death and resurrection Peter tries to stop him Peter is uh, again confused at the the transfiguration and, and Peter and the disciples squabble with each other over their position in the hierarchy of heaven as they miss the point of Jesus's teaching entirely. And of course we know that Peter denied even knowing Jesus out of fear for his own life. Not once, but three times. The scripture is, well, it's really pretty clear. We, we can know a thing. We can have incredible, ecstatic encounters with God and God's power. But those encounters, as powerful as they are, aren't enough to really get to the heart of what it means to follow Christ. They can bring someone to faith. They can help someone articulate the belief that, that Jesus is the Son of God. But, but they don't sustain faith. Now, if you were to sit down 
and comb through the demographic studies that talk about who lives in in this area of Alexandria, Virginia, and and what they need and, and what they want from their life, you would find that on balance, the folks in this area and maybe in your area too, while different in many ways, share a very common trait. They don't attend church. Now, this, this shouldn't surprise you if you've attended a, a regular Sunday worship service at, at basically any church in the last five years or so. And if you ask people who do attend church why these folks don't attend church, well, you get a mixed bag of, of answers that run the gamut from, well, people don't prioritize God to people don't believe in God. But if you look at the data, you'll find that actually most people do tend to believe in God. And when they do attend church, well, they really attend church. But for the vast majority of people, they tell us they don't attend church because church isn't really relevant to their lives. Now, there's a lot to unpack here in this statement. And because there is so much to unpack here in this statement, the response that that churches have is to try and become relevant again. And they do this in a lot of, of different ways. Sometimes they try to hire a young youth pastor who seems hip with it and, and who by virtue of affinity, they think young people will suddenly start to flock to. Sometimes when they're not in the Methodist itinerant system, they do this by getting in a young pastor who wears jeans and and has tattoos and and dyes their hair funky colors. Sometimes they do this by, by trying to engage on social media, which has led to a really interesting trend of, of, of young people leaving TikTok for other pro, uh, platforms as, as old people join TikTok to try and connect with them. Sometimes they create an online worship program or, or start an in-worship service, that, that an in-person worship service that, that seems different as they mistake difference for relevance. Sometimes they do all of these things. Sometimes they even see a bump in attendance by doing these things. And when they do, they think that perhaps they've done enough because now they're, quote, relevant again. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that when folks say the church isn't relevant to their lives, they're not saying that the pastor is too old or, or that the music is too stale or, or that they only like videos on TikTok in, in lieu of connection with, with real people. When people say that the church isn't relevant to their lives anymore, They're saying that their faith has been unraveled. You see, we've created a church culture that that seeks emotional highs the the way a drug addict seeks chemical highs. We we expect that connection to God is supposed to be like Jesus calling us out onto the water and us stepping out of the boat with, with fear and trembling. We chase that spiritual high in so many ways. And for most of us, we've been in places and spaces before where we felt, where we really felt God. And because that feeling was so incredible and, 
and so amazing and and so awe-inspiring. We seek ways to, to feel God again over and over, hoping that each time our, our spiritual high will, will last longer and take us into deeper relationship with God. I'm not, I'm not knocking these moments. I'm, I'm really not. What I am, however, taking issue with is the idea that this is all there is to, to connecting with God. Because between the high of Easter in the high of Christmas, we sure have a whole lot of ordinary time without very much pomp and, and circumstance. And for most of us, between these incredible spiritual highs, well, we have a lot of pretty ordinary time too. And in the ordinariness of our daily encounters with God, the, the small encounters that, that don't always take our breath away, our faith can can start to unravel. Because you see, despite what the church has lived out in, in our traditions and our teachings about, about burning bushes and, and dry bones rattling, that, that's not the faith most of us will, will ever know. The real holiness movement is about creating a holiness of heart and life. Not, not a life lived out loud in, in, in bright, vivid color, but, but the very normal, ordinary parts of how we live our lives. We've made it about flying across the world to, to build a school for a week in, in a country we've never been, with a people we've never met, and, and less about supporting the homeless shelter being built just up the road. We've made church about showy performances that, that feel like orchestrated concerts and, and less about places of community where we meet each other exactly where we are, as we are, who we are. The church writ large has failed the faithful. We've failed to talk about how our faith winds its way through every aspect of our lives, not just our baptism, weddings, and funerals, but the start of the workday and the dinner we grab through the drive through on our way to our kids' baseball practice or, or dance class. When people say that the church isn't relevant to their lives and they felt like their faith is unraveling, it's because we've failed to speak into the very real moments of life that, that are far from perfect and feel so at odds with a holiness of heart and life. But by focusing on the way the church makes us feel, the church has isolated people who don't feel holy because they don't feel whole. In this space, I want you, church, to encounter God. And, and I fully expect that, that some of you may have a Jesus calling Peter out of the boat experience as you encounter God in, in all of the ways that we can encounter God as a, as a community of faith. At Christmas, when the lights go out and, and all we have are tiny little candlelights welcoming the light of the world into our hearts. 
At Easter, when we resurrect the hallelujahs after 40 days of solemn Lent. But I also want you to learn to encounter God in the the less big and, and ostentatious ways too. I want you to encounter God in in all of the ways that that feel relevant to the ways in which you, you try to walk with Jesus every single day of your life. I want you to encounter God when when you apologize to others and and when they apologize to you. I, I want you to encounter God when you sweep away the branches that fell after the storm from the church path. I want you to encounter God when you come late at night to move sound equipment from the front of the church to the back. I want you to encounter God in my sermons, in my reflections, the good ones and the ones that are maybe less than great. I want you to encounter God on your commute to and from work. I want you to encounter the God who lives within you. And I want you to encounter the God who lives within each other. The unraveling of our faith happens when we want God to call us out of the boat onto the tempest-tossed sea. And instead, we only get our humdrum daily routines. It's not easy. I know that. Scripture tells us that. It was easy for the disciples to have faith in in their moment of ecstatic exclamation, but in the everydayness of teaching people and walking alongside Jesus on those dusty, hot roads, it was hard to remember that God was still there, that Jesus was still divine. As a church, we desperately want to be relevant to our communities, and, and that that is a good thing. And together, we will think about so many ways that, that we can do that. But at the heart of everything that we do is a teaching that says that sometimes God calls us out of the boat, but most of the time, God just calls us into our lives. Let everything we do speak to that credibility gap so that that we're not just chasing a spiritual high, but we're following the Spirit in all of the ways that the Spirit leads us to be in relationship with God and with each other. Because our very faith depends upon it. Thanks for joining us today on Whenever Worship and this reflection on Matthew 14, verses 22-33. Join us next time as we explore the story behind Sarah's laugh in Genesis 18 and ask questions about what it means to have unraveled hope.